Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The SAS has its origins in the North African desert. Formed as 62 Commando in July 1941, its purpose was to undertake small-scale raids behind enemy lines, carrying out some of the most daring and nerve-wracking missions of the Second World War. Many of these missions have now been dramatised in the new hit BBC show SAS Rogue Heroes, starring Jack O'Connell, Alfie Allen and Connor Swindles. But just how accurate is the new series in its portrayal of the SAS heroes at the heart of the story? Well, I'm your host, James Rogers. This is the Warfare Podcast. And to take us through the fact and the fiction behind the SAS history, we have an old friend back on the podcast. Damien Lewis is the number one best-selling author whose books have been translated into over 40 languages worldwide. For decades, he worked as a war and conflict reporter for the world's major broadcasters. And now he's one of the nation's favorite historians of the SAS with his books on SAS Brothers in Arms, SAS Italian Job, SAS Ghost Patrol, and that is the name but a few. So Damien Lewis is the perfect person to pull back the curtain and to show us the real history of the SAS rogue heroes. Enjoy. Hi Damien, welcome back to Warfare. How are you doing? Very good. Always good to be on the show and it's been a while. It has been a while and it is great to have you back on, especially at a time when everyone I know in the UK seems to be watching this new hit BBC show, SAS Rogue Heroes, which I'm sure will be available worldwide soon, but it's off the back of this series that everyone appears to be a bit of an armchair expert on the SAS. So I thought I'd get you on as a a real expert of the SAS, your good self, that is what you do, back onto the podcast to tell us maybe some of the facts and some of the fiction from this new series. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great to me, yeah, absolutely. All right, so I'm thinking, if I just fire off some questions that I've got from watching the show, then you can kind of give us a bit more background and let me know if it's true, if it's false, or what the true history is. Mm -hmm. Okay, good stuff. All right, so is it true that the SAS was established because Britain was knocked on its heels by 1941 and Churchill called for this volunteer force, this special service that could hit deep behind enemy lines? There's a truth to it. The true story is far more dramatic than that and far better. So the real truth is that actually immediately after Dunkirk, so, you know, cataclysmic defeat in France, 48 hours after Dunkirk, Churchill called for the raising of the special service volunteers. That's when it happened. And he did so in 
enormous admiration for the man. You know, his vision, his strength, his constancy against all the opposition, all the political opposition, all the military opposition, all everybody who believed we just had to prepare to defend these islands against invasion. And Churchill said, no, we have to go on the offensive. We have to go on the attack because the French tried to defend France. The Maginot Line disaster, they failed. We have to hit the enemy wherever we can. We have to make sure no German can sleep sandy in their beds at night. We need butcher and bolt raiders. We need to leave a trail of the enemy corpses in our wake. He called upon volunteers, 10,000, was what he called for, first of all, to go out and to visit murder most bloody and cruel on the enemy, wherever they found them. So this is what he did, 48 hours after defeat in France. And it was via the office of a chap called Colonel Dudley Clark, who's in the series, who came up with this idea for the commandos, that's what he called them, because it was based upon his experience of the Boer commandos in the Boer War, that that's how he and Churchill got together and cooked up this call. But it was then that it happened. And the way that kind of like, it distills itself into the SAS is that actually the truth is the SAS, the 11th Special Air Service Brigade, was actually formed in the autumn of 1940. And it was formed to be the aerial version of Churchill's Seaborne Commandos. Right. Okay. So they're the first ever airborne soldiers that were trained. They were called Number 11 SAS. And they were called Number 11 SAS because... Dudley Clark wanted the enemy to believe we already had 10 other brigades before them and they were the number 11. So we had thousands of these airborne raiders. So that was 11 SAS and they carried out the first ever airborne raid by Allied forces, which was Operation Colossus, the raid into Italy, long before the SAS were formed in the North African desert. And then Dudley Clark got reassigned to North Africa. Dudley Clark met Sterling in North Africa. And Sterling had this idea about hitting far behind the enemy lines. He was right at the very start. And Dudley Clark said, great idea. Call them the SAS because we've already got prior history. We've got number 11 SAS that we formed in the UK. And the enemy will just think we've got more and more and more of these airborne forces. And it was the fear factor and the deception that was to the fore for Dudley Clark. So that's the kind of true genesis. So yeah, at Churchill's behest, but slightly earlier. Okay, I've got so many questions, Damien. Right, first of all, did that smoke and mirrors game actually work? Did the Germans fall for it? Did they think that we had all of these airborne troops that were highly trained and ready to pounce at a moment's notice? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> Dudley Clark was already on the case. He was out there in North Africa running a top, top secret deception operation. So he already was dropping dummy parachutists in the desert. Now, they weren't full life-size, they were a third life-size, but you would drop them in such a way that optically they looked like full-size parachutists. He was doing all that. They had mock-up aircraft, gliders, that they were parking on airstrips, so enemy reconnaissance flights would think we had lots of airborne troops in theatre. And they even had... I mean, actors in airborne uniforms wandering around the bars in Cairo and elsewhere where they knew the enemy had their spies talking very loudly about, you know, the airborne operations. So, yes, it was a very effective deception operation. Clark had that going before Sterling met him and piped up with his idea. And in Clark's view, whether the SAS were successful or not, whether Sterling's SAS was successful, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter if they pulled off any raids. What mattered was it put flesh on the bones of his deceptions. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's why he said to Sterling, when Sterling had the idea and he said, what do I call them? You know, how do I constitute this? He said, you call them the Special Air Service because 11 SAS already exist. I've already got this deception operation going here. You will just add fuel to the fire. You see, that is incredible. All war is deception. And, well, this shows it working pretty well. Now, you mentioned about the 
eccentric Scotsman, David Sterling. But there's another character that I think is probably the central character, you could argue, in this new series, which is the uh, the wild, wild-at-heart Irishman, Blair Paddy Main. Now, there are so many myths and legends about Paddy Main. Was he really that wild? I mean, we see him drunk, stumbling around. I mean, he's, by the looks of it, an incredible leader and amazing at leading men and training them. But there's one point where he starts taking pot shots at his own troops. Do we know that all of this is true? So Paddy Main, Colonel Blair Paddy Main, is an absolutely towering and iconic figure. And the thing about Main is this, and, and bear in mind, the book I've written, you know, came out in October, I've been blessed with the full support of the Main family. They've opened all the family archives. That's five years of documents and letters and a memorabilia that Paddy Main bought back from war on the back of his Jeep. I've been there. I've seen it all. I've trawled through that trove. Wow. You're a lucky man. That is the historian's dream, Damien. When I got the call 10 years ago from a mutual friend and he said, do you want to have a look at Paddy Main's war chests? They've been secreted away in the home of the Main family in Northern Ireland since the war. I was like, that's a dream. So when I went and looked in those war chests, this is the point, a very different man emerged from the man that has sometimes been portrayed. So, yes, Paddy Main was a fighting Irishman. He was the archetype of the fighting Irishman. And bear in mind, Paddy Main was very proud to be Irish. Yes, he was from Northern Ireland. Yes, he was an Ulsterman. Yes, he was a Protestant. But when the SS was formed and Main starts taking control and shaping it in his own image, he is the one who puts the Irish patrol, as he called it, under his command. He gets shamrocks painted on the jeeps. He's a proud Irishman and he's a fighting Irishman. Yes, there, you know, his big weakness, you could argue, was drink. But then again, that's my big weakness. It may be your big weakness. That's not so unusual. We've all got weaknesses. We've all got weaknesses. But I think where the portrait starts to fall apart is where you have portraits of him as undisciplined or willing to risk the lives of his men, you know, with abandon or killing off the enemy unnecessarily and without mercy. Quite the reverse is true quite the reverse is true. I'll give you some examples, right? It is a travesty if he's portrayed in a way which isn't justified, because this is arguably most highly decorated British army soldier from World War II. Let's just repeat that. He won the DSO four times, the Distinguished Service Order four times. He won the Croix de Guerre and the Legion d'Honneur, amongst many, many other decorations. So just to give you an example of how he was quite the reverse of being undisciplined, David Sterling, the Scotsman, when he forms the SAS. Now, David Sterling is another incredible, towering standout figure. Sterling's genius was his crazy mad ideas in his vision. He had more ideas in a week than most soldiers had in a lifetime. That was his brilliance, right? But his other genius was to take from people their best parts and use them for the offices of the SAS. He was brilliant at seeing the strengths within these maverick, piratical, self-starting. He called his men harnessable. You can order them, you could harness them. And this is the point. This is what he sees in Maine. So when the SS is formed in the Egyptian desert and he has to give people roles, okay, for example, he makes Jock Lewis the training officer because Lewis is very disciplined, very kind of like experienced in desert law, so he's a great training officer. He makes Ian McGonagall, the Irishman, who was Paddy Main's long-standing friend, he makes him the weapons officer because back in Number 11 Commando, where they came from, Ian McGonagall was the weapons officer. But this is the point. What role does he give Maine? 
okay, when he makes Maine the PT, the physical training officer, makes perfect sense. He's a acclaimed international rugby, played for Ireland many times and played for the British and Irish Lions and toured South Africa. I didn't know that. Now, that is a fact. That is a fact. Wow. And not only that, he's not just had all those games and been capped, but he, in the South African rugby press, Maine was acclaimed as outstanding by the South African sports writers. They never give praise to non-South Africans. So he was a standout player. So Sterling is absolutely right, and it's a brilliant decision to make him the PT officer. But that isn't the point. He also makes him the SAS discipline officer. I'll repeat that. Maine is put in charge of the SAS discipline. Now, would you put your most ill-disciplined, drunken officer in charge of discipline? No, you would not. Not unless you're a fool. You would not, no. And Sterling was definitely not a fool. So, and you know, and it was an inspired decision. So Maine instigates his own version of discipline because the SAS were making up as they went along. And this is what he said. He said, if you've stepped out of line, you come and tell me and confess your sins. And then we go in the boxing ring. And you stand as many rounds as you can with me. And bear in mind, Maine was also the Irish University's heavyweight boxing champion before the war. And he said, and then it's all forgotten. There's no paperwork. There's no blot on your record. Bygones are bygones, which the men loved. But he said, and this is where the Irishman comes in. He said, but if you can give me an excuse that makes me laugh, I'll let you off. So I'll give you an example. One of his soldiers was coming back one night from being drinking on the town and he he overstayed, you know, a curfew. So he goes before Paddy Main, and Main says, what, what's your reason? He says, well, it's like this. He says, walking back to base, I'd stopped to light a cigarette. It was a really strong desert wind blowing. I had to turn around to shelter from the wind, forgot I turned around, walked three hours in the wrong direction. All the <laughs> desert looks the same. So, so that's why I'm late. And Main burst into laughter and led him off. Now, that's just a little bit of insight into what Main was really like. He was also hugely wide-read. His aspiration in life was to be a writer. He carried poetry to war with him, Omar Khayyam, Sigrid Sassoon. This is real, deep-thinking poetry. And he always had his head stuck in a book. And the people he gravitated to most in the SAS were those of that nature. So I'll give you an example. Bob Melo, the 40-something Belgium decorated First World War veteran. Polyglot, speaks lots of languages, lives in Egypt, incredibly cultured. Actually, it's a secret intelligence service spy at the start of the war, then recruited into the SAS. He and Maine become inseparable. The doctor, Malcolm Playdell, he's a highly qualified medical doctor, very well read. He and Maine become inseparable. These are the kind of people who graduate to Maine, who are drawn to him. Would those kind of people be drawn to a drunken lout? No, they would not. So that's who Maine really is. He is not a stereotype. You cannot stereotype him. He's a man of infinite number of layers, and that's the key point. I'll just give you one other example of the real Paddy Maine, and I think this is the most important thing of all. When you speak to those who served alongside him, as I have, including veterans still alive today, there are a few, and there's two who have served alongside Paddy Maine, they have nothing but praise and admiration for an inspirational leader of men. And what they all say, and this is the point, we would follow him into hell. And the reason for that is very simple, and and it goes against a lot of how he's been portrayed. They would follow him into hell because they knew he cared. He cared deeply for the men under his command. And that's the whole point about individuals like Maine and the SAS. You didn't lead by rank. You can't use orders to force soldiers to do those kind of behind-the-lines operations because it's just too it's too out there. It's too risk-laden. It's too, you, it requires too much commitment and too much risk. You have to inspire men 
to do that. And so you do that by caring for those under your command and them knowing that you would never lead them into a situation where you wouldn't go in first. And because of that, they all believed that if one person was capable of bringing them out of life on a supposed suicide mission, it was Blair Paddy Main or men like him. So that's the true main. So if we were looking at the kind of facts and fiction of the series, we can say there's probably a little bit of fiction there. He's less of a, a madman and more of a leader of men. I'm so glad I asked you a question about him, Damien, because I can see over your shoulder, our listeners, of course, can't see this, but you've got a picture of Paddy Main right there. So you've been working on this for 10 years. You've got deep into his mind. You've gone through his papers. It's great to be able to get an actual three-dimensional understanding of someone who is just so incredibly important to the history of the SAS. Now, there's one other thing that I found pretty interesting about the series. There are a few things that you can say are quintessentially British. You've got cups of tea, you've got crumpets, you've got Marmite, perhaps. I would say that one of those things is the SAS. However, in the TV series, one thing that we see is that you get an introduction of lots of other different nations, including a lot of French soldiers from the French Foreign Legion. Is this true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. So the SAS, as it was formed in, in the Second World War, was by its very nature a polyglot multinational force. So I'll give you some examples. There were many uh, German and Austrian and Czechoslovakian and other Jews, in, especially in Palestine, as it was at the time, at the start of the war. They'd fled there from the Holocaust, of course. And many of them had been through the most terrible things, as you can imagine. And they were given the opportunity to volunteer for what amounted to the SAS. Now, you can understand why they would step... Well, two things. Why would they step forward and be willing to carry out the most suicidal missions imaginable? Because they had nothing to lose and they hungered for vengeance. That's the first thing. The second thing is why would they be useful to a unit like the SAS? Very, very simple. You could drive up to a German base, they could yell out orders in German, their native language, and be so utterly convincing that the gates would roll open and through they went. That happened many, many times. Many times, actually, the SAS got through, pulled off their operations, got out again because they had German or Czech or Austrian Jews one or two of them peppered amongst the team, causing chaos and confusion in that way. It's, it's utterly brilliant and inspired. It's exactly what Churchill told them to do. He said, go out and fight no holds barred. He said, and absolutely inspirational, Hitler is waging total war. We can only respond by waging total war. There are no rules. Go out and break them if you have to. So they were breaking the rules, OK? And then over and above that kind of contingent, you had a very, very large French contingent. Lots of other nationalities, but the French contingent came in because... When the first few months of the SS being formed, you know, they'd taken serious casualties, as you can imagine. And they were desperate for recruits. And they realised that there was a highly trained bunch of French parachutists in North Africa with nothing to do, who couldn't see any combat. And this was the, the French parachute battalion, OK, the free French parachute battalion, for want of a better word. And, you know, some of them, had Berger, the commander, Major Berger, as he was at the time, you know, he had been the first... French agent of the SOE parachuted back into France after the war. And the mission itself was incredible. They were parachuted back in to ambush a busload of pathfinders, German uh, pilots, the pathfinders who were guiding the bomber streams into Britain to murder them all. It was an assassination mission. That was Berger's first mission. So these guys came into North Africa, not just parachute trained, but also highly combat experienced. And Sterling heard about them and he went to see their commander and he said, you know, can they be given the opportunity to volunteer for the SAS? And the commander said, no way. I'm not having Frenchmen serving under the command of an Englishman. And Sterling said, I'm Scots. At which point the French commander said, well, that's OK then, because there's the old alliance, the Scots and French against the English. 
And so 60 of them... Of course. ...joined the SAS. And it's amazing, right? When they joined, Bégier, iconic figure, sits them down when they turn up at the SAS base and he says, we have the biggest challenge of our careers to live up to. This unit already has over 100 aircraft destroyed to its name on the ground. One man, Colonel Maine is responsible for most of them. You know what they called him? They called him Le Grand Tueur, the big killer, or L'Amois, the wardrobe, because he was that he was he was that iconic a figure. And he said, we have to be better than they are. We have to do better than they are. So this was a serious, serious contingent of the SAS at the time. And they had their own style of soldiering. They were perhaps slightly less phlegmatic and with slightly more Gallic flair, but they were a highly valued part of the unit. And there's an amazing comment that Maine, Paddy Maine, makes about them. It's so incisive. He says, you know, people often ask Maine when he's at war, what are you doing fighting in the British army? You're an Irishman. And he says, I'm fighting for the right of all small nations to choose their own destiny and be free. Very smart. But he says of the French, you need to understand why they're so willing to drive into like supposedly impossible risks. It's because their country is occupied. Their villages are occupied. Their wives and children are suffering at this very moment under the Nazi yoke. We're not experiencing that. We don't have that driving us from home. Imagine what it must be like for them. So they were a highly valued part of the unit and they were only removed from the order of battle of the SAS right at the end of the North Africa campaign, so early 1943, when they were brought back under de Gaulle's command, when de Gaulle kind of took control of the French forces in North Africa. But then shortly thereafter, they're shipped off to the UK to train for D-Day and they're back into the SAS, you know, in strength. Hi there, I'm Don Wildman, host of the new podcast, American History Hit. Twice a week, I'll be exploring stories from America's past to help us understand the United States of today. Join me as I head back in time to witness Thomas Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence, head to the battlefields during the Civil War, visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with English colonists, tour Central Park before it was Central Park, and a city in Tennessee which helped build the atomic bomb. From famous battlefields to secret cities, from familiar names to lesser-known events, I'll speak with leading experts from across the United States and beyond to bring American history to life. Join me every Monday and Thursday for American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What sort of missions were they involved in, Damien? Do we have any kind of key examples of just how successful they were? Do you mean the French SAS or the SAS per se? The French SAS. French SAS, yeah, well, it's a brilliant mission. It's an iconic story. So one of the greatest fears of Churchill was that Malta would fall, you know, the besieged island fortress. And one of the greatest fears of Rommel, the German general, was that Malta would stand. Because Rommel said, if Malta stands, we've lost the war in North Africa. Churchill said, if Malta falls, we've lost the war for the Mediterranean. And, and just to be clear, Damien, that's because all of the oil supplies, the fuel was coming in across from Italy, round past Malta. And it was the British forces that were coming across, along with the planes and the submarines that were blowing these out of the water and stopping Rommel from getting the fuel supplies he needed. Absolutely. You've got it in one. So that's why Malta was absolutely key. And the key to getting the convoys through for the British to resupply Malta with arms and food, basically, was air power. So if the Germans could get their warplanes into the air, then it was game over. If we could keep them on the ground, destroy them on the ground. So that's why there was a major series of missions launched to coincide with a convoy going in to try and blow up all the planes on the ground in North Africa and get that convoy through. So a number of missions were sent into the desert in standard SS fashion to destroy loads of air bases. But at the same time, they dispatched the first ever SAS mission by sea. So a submarine, the Triton, set sail for Crete to raid the airbase Heraklion. And it was led by Colonel Beger, with three other Frenchmen under his command, and Jellico, Earl Jellico, who became the commander of the Special Boat Service in due course. And they went in, the Triton dropped them offshore. They went in in inflatables, landed on the shore, epic trekking into the Heraklion airbase, attacked it, blew the place to smithereens, and all of them were captured apart from Jellico. So it was a heroic mission. With It was so successful that Goering himself, how high can you get, intervened personally yeah. to punish those who were supposedly responsible for the for the security of Heraklion Air Base. And although only Jellicoe escaped at the start, so he gets back to the coast and gets taken off, Jellicoe alone. But the four Frenchmen, one is killed, sadly, but the three others, two of them, although they're taken to Germany and put into captivity and all the rest of it, they also escape. And their escape stories are extraordinary and epic. And only Colonel Berger is held throughout the war. And he's held in Colditz, where Sterling is taken after his capture. So they're in captivity together. That's just one French mission. Wow, that is incredible. And, and Crete is so incredibly difficult to actually operate on. We know how difficult it was for the British, well, the Allied forces led by mainly the New Zealanders, was hard to hold. But to go in there and to actually infiltrate occupied territory and to carry out this mission successfully is just so impressive. But one thing that's interesting there, Damien, is that they, they weren't killed on site. I would think that anyone that is kind of behind enemy lines or conducting these sort of, I guess, like you said, breaking the rules missions, they're not, they're not playing by the normal rules of war. I thought they might be 
killed on site by German forces. Were they protected in any way or was it at the discretion of the commander? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. So, of course, you know, Hitler's commander order, you know, was in place by now, which was his, you know, egregious, horrific order that he'd issued in response to these operations, which he, for some bizarre reason, felt were personal affronts to himself. I know Reinhard Heydrich was assassinated in Operation Anthropoid, but Hitler felt these commando special forces missions so personally that he decreed the commander order was issued. So that was already in place, which said any captured special forces operator, man or woman, would be killed outright, no trial, only kept alive for long enough to be tortured by the Gestapo. Why were the fourth captured Frenchman not killed outright? Well, of course, they were threatened with execution immediately, and especially when they found out they were French. That was a double execution, a double death sentence. But the commanders back in Cabrit, the, the SAS base, had been very, very savvy, and they'd said, look, you get captured and you get threatened with execution, which is what will happen. You tell them we're holding several hundred German officers in prisoner of war camps in North Africa. If we find out one SAS officer or other rank has been executed, we will do the same, but it would be 12 for one. So we won't just execute one German, we'll execute a lot more. You tell them. So what happens is Colonel Berger is taken you know, for interrogation and very quickly, literally within hours, he said, we're going to murder you all tomorrow morning. And he says... Go ahead. But if you do that, well, we'll get back to my headquarters and we'll kill a lot more of you than you will of us. And so he forces them to kind of stay their hand. It's quite extraordinary. And that's how, when they get into Germany and elsewhere, by then they've kind of been covered up as bona fide prisoners of war and there's no other threat made to their lives. Now, we'll put the fact that the Geneva Convention is being breached left, <laughs> right and centre here. We'll put that to one side yeah. for a second, Damien. Do you think the British would have done that? Do you think they would have taken 12 to 1? I don't think so. I suspect it was bluff, but... But it's one hell of a bargaining chip. You know, it, it did the job. And it did the job in that instance. It didn't do the job throughout the war. I mean, after D-Day, I think of the 106 SAS who were captured after D-Day through to the end of the war, I think only half a dozen came home. So it really did not work as the war became more and more bitter and bloody and horrific. But at that stage, certainly, those four Frenchmen got away with it because Berger said, you do this, we'll do that. Well, we have someone of your calibre and expertise who's been working on the SAS for so long with so many amazing books about it. I suppose I want to give you the opportunity to tell us to fire off some things that we should know about the SAS, but we don't know about the SAS. Perhaps things that weren't covered in the new BBC series or things that are going to get people wanting to get out there and also buy your new book. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. You mentioned the portrait of Paddy Main behind me. Yeah, That yeah. portrait, which is an original oil painting... That's by a former soldier, a veteran. And he read my book and he contacted me and said, I'm doing a portrait of Paddy Main inspired by your book. And he sent it to me. So that's how inspiration... He's actually done Main, Sterling and Jock Lewis. But because my book really... It's about them all. It's about all the Mavericks who founded the SS. But really, Main is the central thread because he's just the standout character. And he becomes, of course, he takes over command once Sterling is captured. So he just said, you've inspired me so much. And it is a really... Stunning, stunning painting, and I was, I'm so, so pleased. And in fact, there's another one coming as well from another artist, another veteran who's done exactly the same thing. So it, the book has touched people in some way that I find, you know, really quite moving. But in terms of things we don't know about the SAS, I think one of the things we touched upon, which is we've forgotten it. It's inconvenient history, perhaps, and why should it be, is that they were truly international when they were formed, and they continue to be so. Okay. We all think the SAS is a quintessentially and uniquely British institution. It isn't. There is a French arm of the SAS, okay? Because what happened is, 
when, after the war, the French SAS units were returned to France and they continued the tradition. So there is still a unit of French parachutists whose motto is Kiosse Gagne, who dares wins in French, who wear the wing dagger badge and carry on the tradition in France. And it's, in a sense, it's not that surprising to me because the number of times I've been to France on research trips and I've come into like Moussy, for example, in the Vosges Mountains, where my book, The Nazi Hunters, is set to a large extent. And, you know, you come across all these living memorials to the SAS in these out-of-the-way French villages, private museums run by people. And you think, gosh, the memory here is cherished almost more than it is in the UK. Well, it's not just the memory they're cherishing. There is an ongoing pedigree today in France as well. So I think that's something that, you know, is really vital to kind of remember and celebrate. It's something we should be proud of. This thing that was dreamt up, this concept that was dreamt up in the desert of North Africa, you know, in 41, has spread all over the world. And, you know, even in those units which don't have the wing dagger cat badge, which don't have the same motto. I'll give you an example. When Delta Force was set up in America, which is the nearest American equivalent, so they had no special forces units after the war. Then they realised they needed them. So the two guys who founded it, they came over and they were put through the SAS selection course to have a first-hand experience of how we did it and get inspired themselves. And so that's what underpins the whole of the Delta Force training regime. It's taken into the US Navy SEALs. It's taken into the Polish Grom. It's taken into the German special forces even. So this kind of unit, which we see as quintessentially British, which it is, has actually inspired similar outfits around the world. And that's something we should be very proud of. I couldn't agree more. And I tell you what, when I'm listening to podcasts myself, there's this one thing that I always want when I finish listening to an episode. And that's I want to have learned something new. And I have learned many things new today, Damien. And I can't wait to get my hands on your new book and read it. So tell us, what is the name of the book? And where can we buy it? So the book's called uh, SAS Brothers in Arms. It's available from all good bookshops. Coles have signed copies, Waterstones have signed copies in many outlets, and of course it's available on online from the normal outlets. And I have to say that it's been 10 years in the making, having access to Paddy Main's personal wartime memorabilia and archive was the most extraordinary thing one can possibly imagine, and there are so many people out there who've helped me with this book, and I'm full of gratitude to them all. Well, Damien, it's always great to have a podcast, and as you know, you're always welcome. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Thanks for listening. But before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at James Rogers History, and on TikTok also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.